take two men that happen to be cousins who share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? A corpulent cornucopia of cinematic scrutiny we call The Finleys on Film. It's just that I, um, I don't know how to ease into it. I mean, I'm doing it right now, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's just the way it's anyway. I don't know how to use that. Yeah, I don't have an opening. Yeah. Hi, everyone. We don't have an opening. It, it sounded like his love life for a second to everybody, but that was actually... It was, it was, it was Joe in a moment of weird vulnerability. You know, you uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, welcome, Joe. So, how welcome, are you, Mr. Sir? Finley. How are you, man? I'm doing okay. Yeah. We got a little bit of, uh, we got a little bit of this uh, the, the commie music going on in the background. We're yeah. Be, Talking some good comments today, I think. It's well, going to be, I, I'm kind of looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be an interesting one. I mean, we, we might fuck it up and everything, but um, what's really interesting, um, I think, is just, let's just start with this. I mean, just so we put a little uh, timestamp on this episode. Mm-hmm. So it's August 23rd of 2018. Yep. Now, I don't know. <laughs> Tom, say your guy. Let's no, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't. For instance, <laughs> yeah. say. Um, I really don't have any confidence that our current president, number 45, President Trump, is definitely going down. But I'm no longer certain that he isn't. Yeah. And that's... We're at a weird... <laughs> we're at a weird potential tipping point that's a, here. Uh, it feels but good. It, it feels like the, the momentum that's got him this far, I think is going to tip it. I think it's, it's going to tip. I don't think there's... Yeah. God, I want it to. Well, I mean, I do want it to. And then mm-hmm. there's a part of me that's going to like fucking... Like, well... <laughs> Go ahead. This was more, Finish that more the fact of it after the fact, you know, not not no, for the guy, but mean. for the office, you know. No, I so, think the presidency is going to take some. It's taken an immortal hit. It's taken it before, though, and we've recovered with people who are not necessarily good, but at least somewhat competent and decent. Yeah, I mean that's what brings about, it back, right? Yeah, who's yeah, but who's in the on deck circle for that? I don't know. Who was ever on the on deck circle? Well, but that's the thing is we've had, we've had periods where we had like shit leadership, and mm-hmm. then. We've had periods of like kind of phenomenal leadership at times. Like Give me some the right examples. guy at the right time. Oh, FDR comes right up immediately to mind. Let's uh, Lincoln is is maybe the best example of the lot. And if you really want to go back, those founding fathers, there was a tremendous brain trust of people who sort of founded this country in a sense. It's that's a remarkable group of people at that. Yeah, time. but it's also, you might want to lean in a little bit more. But right. but it's also like the way that um, you know Brazil in the eighties um, had a had an economic crisis, and right. the way that they recovered was to announce that they were going to psychologically trick themselves into believing the dollar was worth worth more than it was. Right, right. And it, like everyone you've mentioned, it you know with with time you look back and you're like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, FDR like sent a boatload of Jews back to the death camps in order to to, to gain the Southern vote, and he you know he put uh, Japanese Americans in day, concentration. Were, right, and and Lincoln <laughs> destroyed habeas corpus. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there, JFK <laughs> fucked Mimi Beardsley. Well, that's I mean, he had to Mimi Beardsley. Come here, Mimi. <laughs> and then that helps makes me think about the other interesting thing that's happening this week, which is um, um, Asia Antero, Asia. Argento. Uh, Argento. Yes. Yeah, sorry. No, right, right. Mm-hmm. I haven't really been following that. So, so, <sighs> so catch me up. I, she was she was sexually assaulted at some point, and now she's like making well, apologies for. Well, her. no, she definitely was sexually assaulted. I mean, I believe she was by Harvey Weinstein in uh, the '90s at Con when her father was there, and she was you know 20 or whatever, you know. Uh-huh. And it, there's no reason to not believe that. And so, so this is like um, you know a few months before. Bourdain took his life. Bourdain was her then boyfriend. Right. Um, she was at Cannes, and she was like, "This was Harvey Weinstein's hunting ground, and he raped me here." She made the speech from the stage, basically, wow. and wow. she 
she became like Rose McGowan's like um, VP of the Me Too movement, right? Mm-hmm. In a way. So it's like, you know, and, and she even said in the speech, there are the people sitting in the audience, men who should be squirming because you're, you will be outed at some point. It's like, whoa, you know, it's really, <laughs> really, I had to give it to her, like very ballsy nice. way to take like all the like, um, Charles Bronson or I spit on your grave a real fucking like you know ice cold you know like I'm back it's best served cold I liked it Um, I respected parts you know I've had problems with the Me Too movement for sure we've talked about this but I mean at at its core I I get it Mm -hmm. Um, but it turns out that she's um, had uh, she was having a sexual affair with a 17 year old whom she knew since he was like 7 because Mm -hmm. she she started a movie with him she played his mother in the movie (laughs) And then was having this sexual, oh, Woody Allen, move over. sexual affair with him when he was 17. Yeah. And then he threatened last year to out her. Mm-hmm. And Bourdain, who had the money, basically handed him $380,000. Wow. And at the same time, he was saying, like, I respect these ladies. And so now in retrospect, it's very clear what Bourdain was doing. Because it always seemed weird, not that he would side with these women, but that he, he of all people, is sort of, like, very public about it. Right. Like, where'd that come from? Like, Bourdain, that's kind of a weird thing, right? right. Well, H. Argento, and then, and then this sort of payoff. And to be honest with you, I, I'm looking at it, and it's one of those situations. There's, there's a professor, um, Avatel Ronell from NYU. I know I'm going off, but fuck it. Let's yeah. just spend a couple minutes here. Avatel Ronell from, from NYU, um, who is one of her grad students. Now it's like, you know, she harassed me. And a little bit with these two cases, I'm like, they just don't seem like that big a deal. They just right. don't. I'm yeah. sorry. But it also the points... The double standard maintains, right? Well, it's not the double standard. I think what it is is it, I, I always thought a lot of the Me Too things were no big deal. Like like right. Louis C.K., whatever. Like there was no sort of scale, right? right? There was just like it all the same. And it's like, no, no Louis right. C.K. is not Harvey Weinstein. Neither is Asia Argento. Right. And it's like, I think what'll break open, it's just, it sort of has to do with Trump because it's this moment where I wonder if... You know, we were so depressed that sanity was has been lost over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Whether it's from the left or the right, the PC culture, the alt right Nazis, whatever it is, right. and it's like all of a sudden, it's like ah, oh, maybe humanity does have that capacity to just have like they can't take it anymore. This is fucking threshold, <laughs> and sanity comes back. Right. And all of this Probably. is to say that I wish that there were a union there, Tom, a uh, union to help us get our hey, what, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Find our way. All right. All right. Wow. Ah. Ah, I did pretty good. They call me the transition kid. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking about 1976. And of course, we're talking about Harlan County. Harlan County, USA. Yeah. Do you want to give a front load on how you like this movie? Did you like it? Did I like it? Yes, I did. I think it's an amazing movie. I think it's a tremendous documentary. It's it falls into that category of everybody should watch this documentary and maybe uh, maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. (laughs) Why, why? Why? What's 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 the problem? Because we're so much shallower, mm-hmm. I, th- we're th- I think as a culture, most of us are. I, I, it's, it's we're hard. We're mm-hmm. hardcore shallow. Okay, I well, think. Well. Even as I was watching this, I was going, "God damn, these people are unattractive." Oh my God, Tom! Really, that's your issue? I think no, no. That, well, it wasn't really an issue, but it was like an inescapable thing as I'm watching it. And yeah, no question about this it. This movie's going to get judged on the on the aesthetics of that just alone. I think. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I think, but... yeah I, that's I'm saying I'm not proud of that. I think we're <laughs> shitty because I think there's a little bit of truth of what I'm saying. Well, there's lots. I mean, it's made in it's it's you know released in 1976 and oh, and man, the 70s clothing principal was photography not like for fucking anybody. 72, 73, 74. So you're yeah. talking about guy like guys wearing like cheap rabbit 
rabbit fur coats with checkered pants. I mean, it was a weird time all the way around. So mm-hmm. the fact that half these people don't have teeth is not a huge deal to me. Well, some of them with teeth were much more disturbing than the ones without teeth. I grant you that. But I mean, look, the story, it, it, it adds to the humanity to me. Because actually it cut across, it's weirdly, cr- one of the first things I thought was how, how it cuts across racial lines. Yeah. Like how often we're, we're, we're so sort of proud. I, I'm talking really about like white mainstream to make a film like Hoop Dreams or something in the documentary style and be like, yes, we're showing. And it's like, actually, right. people are suffering and they're good while they're suffering yep. and they're encountering fucking banal evil everywhere. Yeah. And this is a great case for it. So, so we're talking about, really what's interesting about this film is um, the director, do, I'm sorry, do you remember the director's yeah, name? Oh, the woman, I don't know. I love Bar- her voice. Barbara Coppola. Her voice I think. kept like, popping up. I think it's Barbara Coppola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll double check on that. But she, she got a grant for $9,000 to make this film in 1972. Mm-hmm. And the whole film was really to go down and, and watch the election. Of, of of the uh, of the, the new the new head the union of the MWA, right? Right. So well, he Mine he had, workers he'd been the ongoing um, union president, and right. he was corrupt. As he was a scumbag. Fuck. But he was he kept getting reelected. So there was a possibility that he'd be unseated by this sort of like this Polish upstart. Right. Right. He was very passionate, very like Huey and Long really, in the early yeah, days. Yeah, very likable, charismatic. Like, you knew he was going to win. You knew he was. He gonna loved win. the guys. He loved the miners right. too. So she goes down there to do it, and two things happen. One, <laughs> one thing is that the funding gets pulled. So she's like, I'm not sure if I can oh, make really? this. Movie. So it kept getting delayed, and while it was being delayed, and she's on a shoestring with her own money trying to make this film, <laughs> it becomes a completely different film yes it does because because several things happen one one of the things that happens is um the election happens and this is kind of interesting way that she makes the film because you know documentaries where you where you definitely see how closely related a director and an editor are Mm -hmm. right so her editorial decisions to sort of take things a little out of sequence are really interesting right because you go back in time after about 20 minutes to look at that election right and you realize because it was Jablonski, right? Yeah, and yeah. Th- that the that the the corrupt union president had the the his Killed. had his yeah upstart fucking assassinated. <laughs> yeah, he totally assassinated. He hit it, man. And it was like, wow, okay, that's wow. an over the top ca- case. It's probably like you know now the other side of Huey Long, right? The guy who's got corrupt over years, mm-hmm. and okay, that's kind of an interesting story. But but in the meantime, um, the the union. This is in Kentucky. Right. Harlan County, Kentucky. Very Kentucky. Very, very Kentucky. <laughs> very Kentucky. Mm, Kentucky. Oh, How Kentucky hey, is it? Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, they go on strike. Yeah. And they go on the first of many strikes. But it's really the first big strike they've had since the 30s. And so it's mm-hmm. because it's the early 70s, you also have miners who not only have been miners and survived like black lung disease for four decades, but who were in the last remember strike. remember the 30s. And they remember the terror of that strike. Uh, yeah, and, and the fucking horror of it and the and bloodiness of it. And great. They don't want it to happen again, and it kind of does. Anyway, you know, it's and and Cobble, by the way, crazy. uses archival footage now n- sparingly. There's really not really a lot of archival, but it it but plays it plays heavily into like bringing the parallel between the past and the and the potential present of the early '70s when right. this is filmed. And the terror that they, both the terror that they feel and sort of the naivete of some of the younger workers Mm -hmm. and the workers' wives, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Gender's part of it, too, because this reminds me of Salt of the Earth, right? The women were the badasses in this show. Well, some of them. What's interesting is you have women who are badasses. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, you have like three generations. You have older women who remember the 30s. One woman who's composed this terrible union song because she, she sings it with such, union. <laughs> such passion it's yeah, beautiful it's right amazing, yeah then the you, music the sound oh go, go ahead, please we're gonna talk about the singing in this please too because it's fucking something else cool. like it's a, it's like deliverance it's like that old appalachian 
like music singing stuff that you, yep. you know you, music singing stuff good. music singing stuff sure. it's, it's its own unique thing man it's it's where bluegrass comes from of course initially yep. and a lot of country music like this is the roots of it but it's yep. really fascinating to see it alive and well at this in like in the in the early 70s yeah certainly it's really fantastic well, I mean, and it's it, a, it's it reeks a, of like the 20s and 30s but, but it's, it's also very current because yeah. they, these songs are just created sort of by by the the Kentucky Hill mine people for mm-hmm. the event right they're they're occasional they have, songs they, I don't know if they have songs that aren't about unions <laughs> this, I think true. all of their songs are about unions well, that's fair enough well yeah so that so you have that old generation you have the sort of like the um, middle aged generation husbands are sort of like really their asses are on the line yeah. then you have the, the younger men and their wives and there's a, a great one with a, um, a kid who gets killed yeah um, mm-hmm. gunned down but right. not by the union president because he's already been He's already been ousted. Ousted by a younger, like a, a not as passionate as the Polish guy, but a really interesting sort better, of union leader. Definitely somebody who's a human. And they they're, they're interviewing the wife, and she's just like, "Yeah, I guess so." It's like, "How old are you? 16, 16. one kid, all this stuff." So it's like, but it's very much like um, the movie is about the union, right? And it's about the exploitation of coal miners right. by by the corporations. Mm-hmm. It's about. Um, uh, uh, um, sorry, about, about gender. Right. Certainly. Right. Um, it's about also an interesting sort of thing is, is, is the collision of these different worlds, right? So capital, it's, like, it's capital and labor. Don't forget please. that. That angle is, is the biggest part of the whole thing. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Like, it's, it's funny because we're watching this thing and it's, set, and it's in the 70s and it's, and it's unfolding the way strikes unfolded in the 30s. The whole thing yeah. hasn't changed. The dynamic is still fucking there. Mm-hmm. The cops are still being run by the, but the, the corporations still run the cops. Yeah, who run the, the local run the side local of the corporation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and of course, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they're talking about like the union, the, the old union corrupt union guy. Yeah, he's also on the side of corporation, even though he's running the union. So you get to see how, like how the, how this corruption is also spread into the unions. Well, like you that. also get to see how it's, the, it's the good really, union leaders slowly become corrupted. So, yeah. like by the latter half of the film, our hero, the guy who who unseats the corrupt guy, you kind of start to question him as well. Yeah, yeah. But part of you also, I mean, what's well done about the film is also by the end. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when when the union the, the strikers have had some success, you begin to wonder as as they start talking about a new strike, whether you're on their side anymore, whether it's whether it's a noble cause or whether they too have gotten to taste power. Right. You know, hard yeah. won power, earned power. Well, yeah, but that's, okay. So that's what you know. People who are anti-union, I get it. Yeah. You know, I mean, and watching this will will illustrate because you're right. The people who are in the unions mm-hmm. do take advantage of that. No, but I mean, even they the, have to. I mean, even the workers, and just I'm just no, talking, I'm just about talking about the human side as well. Yeah, the yeah, human yeah. side, the, the human side for a better life forces them to become a little bit graspier than you might think, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the union itself becomes becomes you know inevitably becomes about maintaining its own power mm-hmm. right and then of course there's a corporation on the other side and there yeah. is it's just it's this crazy thing and you can see how like unions have this terrible reputation and it's earned not earned it's earned but necessary you know i get i, I get why people think unions are corrupt but uh-huh. at the same time not nearly as corrupt as as, as um uh, capital yeah certainly in this situation yeah and and the fact that we you know we did we as much as we despise unions today man we, they've done so much good for us as a country as a people well so then there's this other question i always have with documentaries which is like um th- this isn't my favorite documentary but it's up there for sure mm-hmm. and i think my favorite documentary is is outside our purview it's 1994's crumb but but the thing about documentaries is this it, right. it makes me think about harlan county usa or crumb 
it's like um, it's difficult to tell how skillful the documentarian yeah. is versus right. how compelling the subject matter is. Right. Because it becomes, it, I mean, this film is, is a classic example because it, it has its own life from the very beginning. Yeah. She goes down to cover one thing and it becomes something else. Mm -hmm. But that's the nature of, docu of good documentaries anyway is right. that, is that I, I think in a weird way, a good documentary filmmaker, and, and, and she's one of them, can kind of pull back and, and just sort of wait and let things happen. Right. And, and right. trust in the editing later on to put it together, hopefully in a way that's honest, yeah. but, but also in a way that contextualizes it that in a way that an artist wouldn't be able to. Well, you know, like, I, I like, uh, I'm going to gonna quote uh, Herzog. Warner Herzog calls that the ecstatic truth. I'd describe it more. What do you well, mean? It's, it's a, there's, there's fact and then there's truth. Yeah. And, and it's always like the search for truth. Which is it has nothing to do with like the numbers of a situation, but with the way things unfold and the way you know truth actually you know truth as, truth as an actual truth comes out. Okay, well, so and say, that's what a good that's what a good documentarian can capture, like you're talking about. I, I think here's and make happen. Here, well, here's the complaint about uh, against postmodernism, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like there, there's a, a, a lot of conversation. Um, about the, the pitfalls of postmodernism and connecting it to things like Marxism and genocide and so forth. And it's, it's this idea that um, there really is no truth, that it teaches people that there is no truth, essentially, right? And truth right. is all relative and it's only what I apply it as and so forth. And I mean, part of it's bullshit. Yeah. The other part of it, though, is like because I teach literature, I do use postmodernism in, in some lit classes, but I always think of it as a way to um, exercise your brain. Like right. if you apply postmodernist Marxist criticism or feminist criticism to a novel written in, in the 1850s, it's not about finding the truth. Yeah. It's about exercising a, a different lens or filter right. for analyzing work, right. right? But but now if I bring it back to documentaries, I mean, that was the distance I had. Now I bring it to documentaries and I think, I wonder if the filter does create truth in a way, right? Because because this filmmaker does have to go in with some filters, right? Of course. I mean, I mean, she's very clearly on the side of labor. Here. That's what I mean, right? I, there, there's, I mean, she has there's there's a a, a, a sort of chilling sequence of events. There's um, a, a sort of a middle management guy, right? The the guy who's in the pickup truck, oh, who's right. leading the rest of the thugs. Jesus, he, he is a, a fucking like a villain. Fucking picture of a thug. He is a fucking <laughs> villain a that could not white, have been written like better. The rottenest white man. The, 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 like he was like a, a clans like a clansman. He, Except he well, hated white been. people too. Yeah, right, right. Well, <laughs> he calls he calls the white people niggers at one point, right? right and yeah. and this woman says, "Well, that nigger is more of a man than you'll ever be." They're right in his face, but he is carrying around a gun in his pocket. Yeah. He's shooting. At one point, they they catch him on film shooting from his pickup truck okay, into a so crowd. That's one of the things that I loved most about this movie yeah. was it didn't give you preamble to these moments. Mm -mm. None at all. You're looking at one screen, and then the screen goes dark, and then suddenly you're looking at a screen that's lit up with gunfire in a, in a dark night. Well, the preamble to that is people talking about right. violence and how they're in danger while they're at a union meeting, and yeah. then, yeah, bam, you get to this guy shooting out of this like truck. Like a fucking gun just going off. I mean, it's... I mean, it's the, the, I mean, beautiful that's the, use of the camera. It, and the yeah, editing. But also beautiful, um, you know, reality of how awful people can be. In other words, these mm -hmm. people could be so loathsome openly yeah. that what great material they gave her. Right. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. God damn it. Oh, my you God. Couldn't hired a, you couldn't have hired a better person to be a villain for that. Yeah, for and sure. Everybody. He was like perfect. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's like, he's like, almost, he's like almost so stereotypical. I was like, did they fucking hire this guy? Yeah. But of course they didn't. They didn't have to because this bastard's always there, right? 
One of my favorite scenes is, is they get a contingency of strikers to go up to Wall Street in Manhattan. <laughs> and one of the, one of the, the union guys, the strikers, has a conversation with a cop. Oh, yeah. That's great. And the cop is, I mean, kind of, the cop must have been only half aware that he was on film. <laughs> I don't know. My job's bullshit. I don't yeah. really do anything. I don't protect people. But <laughs> I make a sweet time, seven bucks an hour. Like, and, like, and, and, and like again, kind of like a, per, a nearly perfect mm-hmm. Jewish or Italian, not sure which. Yep, New York cop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like for sure. Very yeah. much of a mold, right? Of a type. But very sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it, it crosses the sort of lines, and mm-hmm. and there's a great. Well, he's he, talking about like he's got all this great stuff. Like he yeah. gets paid good money. He gets this kind of coverage and this kind of benefits. And the, talking to the the strikers, and they got like they got none of that shit. Well, none of that. And then the other side of it is that there are like interviews with. Um, individual like a, a, a woman who's just talking to one or two other women or there's a young striker who has his own sort of interview time and the thing is you, you're confronted I think as a viewer who lives not in that area with your own like stereotypes your own bigotry in a way because I kept being surprised at how smart some of them were right. some of them clearly were not smart and were, pa- <laughs> were merely yeah. passionate but uneducated right. and so forth but they would say things like the guy he started talking about um, he, he's glad that that the Virginia and the Ohio coal miners came down, but just to come down and yeah. have a parade wasn't enough. We had to have a, a contingency here and a plan and something for the future. Or the woman, who well, I just want to stop because because Please. I think you make a good point, and it kind of rolls back to my original point, which is I think this is a, this is going to be a hard. I think our, everybody should watch this movie, but it's going to yeah. be hard. It's gonna, it's easy to judge these people because yeah. they don't sound smart. They yeah. sound like Kentucky hillbillies, but isn't big time. That guy did too. But you're right; he made a great point. Some of them made terrific and he points. He was very smart. But this is this is why why the director is so brilliant in a way because because the director peppers you know a little bit back and forth. You mm-hmm. get um, smart and passionate people, and then but she's fair about it. Just as the world is full of committee meetings with brilliant people and people <laughs> who you wish were not on your side, yeah. It, this the, the 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 scene with smart sort of you know really engaging Kentucky coal miners will be followed by an argument that two women are having at a union meeting over one taking the other's man, right? And that's the only reason that she's involved <laughs> in this whole thing at all is to take her man. So it's like yeah, yeah. the world keeps turning and. Yeah. And all the problems are the same, except that it's it's just like uh, you know I would say just like a, a great documentary that takes a look at the Henry Horner projects in Chicago and the devastating poverty of inner city African Americans. Mm-hmm. This taking a look at the white, mainly white, um, Kentucky coal miners who who don't have plumbing, who don't have electricity, who yeah. live in housing without those two, who's who the company Duke Elect uh, Energy. Will openly say, "Well, yeah, I mean, we didn't give them electricity and water, <laughs> but you know, I mean, we're, we're working on we're that. Working on that. that. And and just take a second out too, because mm-hmm. right in the beginning, they show them going to work and then coming back out of yep. that mine. Fucking terrifying, terrifying, terrifying. <laughs> absolutely. And terrifying. I mean, I have claustrophobia anyway, so oh. I wondered if it would be to you too. But it is an awful scenario. Oh goddamn! I don't know how you respect anyone once you come back up who doesn't work <laughs> in a mine. Like you don't even know about Mordor. No, no, no. Yeah. that's just vile. <laughs> goddamn it! Yeah, it's put together really well. This is actually public domain. It's available on YouTube. I yeah, think for uh, free. Go check it out. Yeah, she did a film in in 1990 about the uh, the Hormel Chili company strike in Ooh. Austin, Wisconsin. Oh, okay. 
What? I did like pictures of like people falling into a vat of milk. Get <laughs> <laughs> a Penn Sinclair action here. What, what, what music goes with that, Tom? Uh, I love chili. You can't just pull out your personal theme song. And, uh, I, I was asking for something original, <laughs> oh, sir. Oh, sorry. That just runs in my head on a constant. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 did, I haven't seen it, but I'm interested to see like what a woman um, who gets accolades. This won the Academy Award for the Best Documentary for her first film, yeah. her first major film, um, what her other work's like. Uh, brilliant woman. She actually did another one. Well, fuck it. You can look her up. She's done other films. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'll list them all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I refuse. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're going to you're gonna sit on the picket line on that one. That anyway, didn't work um, at all. <laughs> shit, I love it. See? Oh, the magic. Tommy, let me ask you. Okay, what else? Oh, shit, I don't know. I mean, god damn it. I was, again, I, I never know what to make of documentaries, and uh, not my first thing, but I love it because there's so much bullshit documentary. Fast me for documentaries right now. Netflix has a whole thing called documentaries, and there's maybe one documentary or two at any given fucking time. The other one's ancient alien horse shit. Or, you know, secrets Oh, you of mean the, like the History Channel version of oh, documentaries? Jesus Christ. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the world is just drowning in that shit. And it's mm-hmm. good to just come across a really good documentary that's like giving you a slice of like some reality. I think it really is a case, though, of, of someone who um, is so good that it makes it look easy because I have, I know yeah. what you mean. I've seen documentaries on subjects I'm highly interested in yeah. that I, I can't get through because it's I, just, they don't know when to pull back. And watching this fucking movie, I wanted to go out and look. Give me something slightly interesting. I'm going to go make a documentary of this right now. Like it was, it was kind of inspiring too. <coughs> yeah, I kind of wanted to be um, uh, support a, a union or something, but nah. Nah, I, I just wanted. To I'm almost tenured in my job, so I figured <laughs> hey, I'm a fat cat now. Why bother? Yeah, that's right. You could suck in the corporate teat of education. That's what you <laughs> All right, buddy. You got anything to uh, promote personally? Sheesh, man. Uh, everything I do feels insignificant up to that fucking. M- oh. I was worried that was my beard. Um, no, um, yeah, no. Uh, go check it out. Uh, TomSmithComedy.com. dot uh, com. Mm-hmm. Smitty Ha at no at Smitty Ha on uh, on on the Twitters. Um, oh. Yeah, go check it all out. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna ask that you good people rate and review us on iTunes, please. And um, God damn it, Tommy. Yeah. I love this episode. <laughs>